my pod, Elon Musk's horrifying and tragic Everest catastrophe, Chapter 3, by David Donovan. Chapter 3, Heseltina and the News Limited Yeti. The story so far. It is 1994. A bright-eyed and ineffably heroic David Diamond has, as a rookie freelance journalist, managed to infiltrate a vast and bizarre Elon Musk expedition to scale Mount Everest. To do this, he has successively adopted various cunning disguises, including... One is a garrulous one-eyed Sherpa called Murray. And Bonnie, the amiable and reliable pack mule. On the way, he has gotten rather too close to Musk and befriended a statuesque fake llama called Keith from Reuters. We pick up this gripping tale. As the exhausted musk caravans ride, 14 days out of Mandu and much diminished now by natural and, for the most part, unnatural attrition, at last sights Base Camp 1, its first objective on its quest to reach the roof of the world. It was only on the 14th day of the trek, though I recall it seemed so much longer, that we at last cast our weary eyes upon Base Camp 1. Below us, on an unlikely plain, with Everest looming gargantuan and vaguely threatening behind it. Elon Musk by this time had, according to his PA slash nanny, taken to spending the early part of the day reciting Mother Goose songs he apparently recalled from his early childhood in Upper Right White Transvaal. As few of us in the party were very familiar with Musk's guttural native tongue, Afrikaans, we were all obliged to take that under advisement. It had been a long and tortuous 14-day trek since we last set our weary eyes upon Kathmandu, and it would take a book, perhaps several, indeed, weighty terms, to properly describe the many adventures and even more frequent misadventures we suffered during that perilous and demanding slog into the Himalayas. Let me merely fill you in on a few of the key happenings before we get into the really rather ghoulish tragedy that we now know was grimly set to befall Elon Musk at Base Camp 1. As mentioned in Chapter 2, after a brief dalliance with Bonnie the amiable and respectable, dependable pack mule in whose guise I had somehow infiltrated Elon Musk's unusual procession, our leader had become utterly enamoured by a svelte fake llama called Keith. Yet, while Elon did indeed coos steely Dan Ballads in Flemish to Keith, the highly decorated horse llama and yak impersonator from Reuters, 
as he entwined his freakish and revolting distended knobbly six-fingered hands through Keith's polyester fake fur, this was far from the full story. Musk, we were to discover, had a strange weakness for alcohol. In fact, it is probably pertinent to remark that Musk had a great many strange weaknesses, but his odd fondness for boysberry schnapps was perhaps one of his most distracting and unusual peccadilloes. In short, while Musk would spend most mornings enthusiastically rubbing Keith the Reuter Lama's long and attractive fake neck, riding side saddle, and cooing 1970s superband hits in a piercing falsetto in the native tongue of his then wife and still cousin, Barbora, until the midday flugelhorn announced the breach stoppage to our relentless, wearying march towards Base Camp 1 and announced lunch. It was then that Musk revealed the previously unknown aspect of his alleged personality. Firstly, Musk was then, and for all I know still, violently allergic to food. Consequently, he was forced to imbibe all his sustenance via a nasal drip that went all the way down to his trim, taut and oddly feminine stomach region. Apart, however, from one substance which was, we now know, with the benefits of hindsight, to cause him such anguish, regret and nasty ripping, tearing pain and a number of other ouchy boobies. Musk would, every lunchtime, get Heseltina, his uh, reasonably imposing 7 foot 2 inch personal assistant and rather more impersonal trainer, and also cousin, to pour a meticulously measured 30 millilitres of boysenberry schnapps into a sippy cup. Musk, we observed, appeared to have a strange and unusual physical reaction to snaps, or perhaps had a reaction just to the fictitious berry varieties of snaps such as boysenberry. Anyway, because as soon as that fruity schnapps found its way down to his faintly girlish tummy, he proceeded to exhibit the following unexpected behaviour. Firstly, Musk would quietly dismount from Keith, the attractive Roddy's Lama. Then he would proceed to sing the teddy bear's picnic. Picnic time for teddy bears. In a peculiar and rather camp falsetto, all the while acting out all the moves. Finally, as this novelty song reached its edunumol, almost immediately after he sang, or to be more precise, screeched, because they're tiny little teddy bears. You know what I mean? Musk would, day after day, fall over on his back, wiggle his legs convulsively in the air like a upturned bug or beetle, if you will, and then fall deeply unconscious. Now, Sultina, his impersonal trainer, would then resignedly and brusquely place Musk in a gaudy purple palanquin, especially arranged for this purpose, and carry him up the trail, one-handed, like a gloomy Amazonian cocktail waitress. 
When Musk fell into this state, the entire procession fell into a rapturous delirium of relief and satisfaction. For the record, the allegation Bonnie, which was the pack mule in whose guise I was, uh, was infiltrating the Musk procession, tried to kick Elon into a 4,580-foot crevasse on day 12, has never been properly proven, despite repeated litigation by Musk and his many creepy lawyers. As the record, Musk vs. Bonnie 2002 shows, at the most, my mule alter ego delivered a few well-placed kicks and stomps into Musk's body and uh, midriff without any proven intent to cause uh, death falling. Also noticed was the Yeti, or abominable snowman, if you will, that trailed our expedition. I personally observed this breathtakingly enormous creature descend with grim malice upon our bedraggled procession and take off with, um, I have to say, mostly the pogo jumpers, to which uh, this creature seemed to take a peculiar and particular interest and uh, obsession with. There was not many pogo jumpers left, of course, at this point of day 12, because pogo jumping is necessarily a rather fraught activity on narrow, rocky Himalayan switchback mountain trails. I asked my now firm friend, and as previously mentioned, best man at my first of many nuptials, Keith the Pantomime Lama, on around, oh, I don't know, day 10, maybe 11, could be 12, whether I should be concerned about that bloodthirsty, pogo-hating snowman, but uh, Keith was quick to allay any of my concerns. Bless him. Nah, you schlag, Keith said in his charming cockney drawl. That yeti's from News Limited. You got nothing to fucking worry about unless you try to do some actual fucking journalism, you fucking cunt. Now shut up, you fucking piece of shit. I miss Keith so much. He had so much beauty inside. Disclaimer, the above tale is completely untrue. Only some of the names remain the same to imperil the innocent. End of chapter three.